Just a quick reminder that I do now have a second podcast called Track Nerds, where I have guests on to discuss travel, exercise, and movies and TV. Check it out. Okay, enjoy the show. Okay, so this week is our first of two movies in a row on the African continent. I wanted to kind of briefly discuss the history of the region that Algiers is in here, the capital of Algeria. It's on the north coast of Africa. The settlement in this area dates back to the Phoenicians, it looks like, and then it was kind of taken over by Carthage and then by Rome. And then that city didn't seem to have lasted through the Muslim conquest, at least, you know, in the same, it didn't seem to be a continuous city, but a new settlement was was set up in roughly the same area in the 10th century by the Muslims. And then that kind of went through varying degrees of control from Sicilians and Spaniards and then back to the Muslims. It was in the 16th century that the Ottoman Empire took it over and held it until the French, who um, are going to play heavily into this week's episode, took it over from the Ottomans in 1830. So the Battle of Algiers in the title of the movie refers to the conflict in the 1950s when the native Algerians basically are trying to wrest, I said not necessarily wrest control, but basically get, gain their freedom, gain their independence from, from the French. And it's honestly, it's a clone of something like Win the Shanks the Barley with the native Algerians trying to shake off the shackles of the French and ties into a larger push in Africa in general at this time. And we'll get to next week with Lumumba. but. Basically, after World War II, all over Africa, they were trying to throw off the shackles of imperialism. And we're going to see that this weekend next. So this is a movie I had seen before. Uh, what did you think of Battle of Algiers? I really liked it. I had never seen it before. But yeah, it was it was good. I I didn't know anything about this period of history in Africa, which that's probably my own fault. But yeah, this episode and looking ahead to next week's episode with Lumumba, you know, I, I watched them both as a, as a double feature. Oh, nice. And then, you know, doing all the research is like, oh my gosh, there's just so much that I was not aware of. <sighs> correct. Correct. And we can, we can, uh, we can blame society <laughs> and public education and, and, uh, and honestly just kind of, you know, this, uh, Western centrism that is just kind of inevitable and, you know, Hey, public education only has so much time. So they're going to focus on what's near you and what affects you. Yeah, it's it just kind of, but again, I think we see echoes of these things kind of throughout the world, and, and we always talk about how everything kind of ties together. So getting into the movie itself, first on the Oscar side of things, I just looked this up, I thought it was kind of odd to note that, so it was nominated for three Oscars, but in two different years. How does that work? So I don't feel like it would happen anymore today, but it's kind of been just looser in the past, and especially when you throw in the best or the best foreign film category. So at the 67 uh-huh. Oscars for like the 66 movies, of which this is one, it was nominated for, but did not win, best foreign language film. And then two years later, it gets a best director nomination and a best screenplay nomination, not winning either. So it must have had to do with somehow their timeline and eligibility, but I don't know how it skipped a full year. So I didn't have time to look into the details of how that all played out. And I do think other movies, especially in the foreign category, have gone through similar oddities over the years. But yeah, so it was nominated for three Oscars, and those were two years apart. And just because you uh, 
love you some John Williams, it's worth noting that, not John Williams, but Ennio Maricone. Yes, I was, I was going <laughs> to bring this up. I have a whole thing in notes. Okay, okay. Uh, well, let's go ahead and for, get to that. Uh, yeah, go ahead and get to Marcone now. Or Marconi, yeah, however so, you say it. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's Morricone because it's Italian. That's right, that's right, yeah. So, yeah, Ennio Morricone. He's uh, another powerhouse composer, man. He's definitely not a household name. Close to it because of Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. But, yes, not right. quite. Well, right, but, you know, only if you, like, kind of already are into movies and stuff. No, true. That's true. However, you've almost certainly heard something that he's done. I mean, he's composed uh, scores for, well, this, The Battle of Algiers, but, yeah, The, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. All three of those movies um, he did... Cinema Paradiso. Oh man, The Untouchables, Mission to Mars, The Thing, the John Carpenter uh, version, right from the early eighties. Yep, he did. Uh, he did the score for The Hateful Eight, and that's where he finally won his Oscar. Do you see yes. that? And yeah. He, so, in addition to doing the score for The Hateful Eight, Tarantino uses music from other movies that he's mm. uh, scored in his own movies all the time. Which is actually how I realized, you know, before even looking this up, that. Ennio Morricone was the composer. Uh, well, it's, it's kind of how I stumble onto this whole thing is because I recognize the theme for the movie, The Battle of Algiers, that, that it's like a very uh, bum, 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 bum. Oh, you know? you're and, uh, right. There's a Tarantino I, vibe I there. From Inglorious Bastards. Oh, and I didn't even make that connection, but you're absolutely right. And somehow I missed, like, I, I was like, I went through different stages here. I was like, oh, he's still alive? Oh, he did Hateful Eight. Oh, that's where he won his Oscar. So I want to say I missed this, but I, honestly, I'm sure I just forgot because I would have watched the Oscars when he won, and it just somehow didn't register enough that I remembered, you know, three years later that that was how it yeah. played out. But yeah, uh, definitely an iconic composer. A ton, yeah, a ton of different people have you know like cited him as an inspiration for their work. Uh, everything from Hans Zimmer, obviously another film composer, but even like. Metallica. There's a whole section on his Wikipedia page for use of his work from movies in other movies. And it's like everything from like The Simpsons to all the Tarantino movies, Jackass. Like it's (laughs) he's he's way more ubiquitous than you would think. And you know, yeah, one of those things where you it is almost a certainty that listeners have heard something of his and just didn't realize that that was a that that was his his music. And just in general, I think even as a movie lover, something I've probably, oh, underestimated or underrated is the importance of music in movies. And if you don't think it makes that big a difference, you know, try watching a big cinematic action scene and mute it. You know, Star Wars is actually, you know, it's back to John Williams, but a huge example of that. I mean, the early cuts of Star Wars just they say we're trash before they had before they had these special effects and the music. They said Star Wars was a train wreck, and and so it can it can completely change how you view a whole movie is the sound that goes with it. And I was actually just listening to another podcast talking about the importance of the Hans Zimmer score and Dunkirk and how little talking there is, and the music kind of carries the whole thing. So it's super important. And yeah, coming back to this this movie here, you're right. It just kind of has this. I, I definitely get better this this time, this second time around, and the music is is definitely a huge part of keeping you engaged with this black and white movie from from the '60s. Yeah, the music from the movie. It's one of those things where you hear it and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like so stereotypical 1960s war movie music. <laughs> but like 
Ennio Morricone is like the dude that came up with that style of scoring right. that everybody else was copying. Right. He's not ripping somebody off. He's the guy. Right, yeah. It's like we talked about yeah. Casablanca and the quotes. Yeah. Exactly. Same, same thing yep. here with this movie and the music from Morricone. And, and, and crazy that he's still working. He's actually older than John Williams. Like, I kind of just assumed he was yeah. dead. Well, I mean, he's in his 90s. So. Well, true. Okay. So to the movie itself, and it does a pretty good job of paralleling the history. There, there's definitely a few tweaks, but for the most part, this is a pretty faithful depiction of the events of the Battle of Algiers. And they just kind yeah. of round some things for simplification purposes, but uh, they do a really good job. And again, very, very similar to what we talked about with When the Shakes the Barley and, and probably other episodes where you're dealing with revolution is... It's complicated because you're dealing with both sides of this, and in many ways, they're kind of painting the quote-unquote terrorists as the protagonists, and you're not rooting for them because they're killing civilians, but at the same time, they're obviously the oppressed, and this is their only way that they see to fight for their freedom, and it's complicated. Yeah, it's one of those things where there's honestly, like, there's no good guys and bad guys in this movie. The, The French... You know, they they see that Algeria is, you know, oh, this is a French territory. This is French. This is this. It basically is an extension of France, um, which I think legally or whatever it it was, at least in France's eyes, they considered it an extension of French territory. Yeah, it was part of their country. Yeah. So they're, you know, fighting for their country. And then you have, you know, the FLN who is doing terrorist attacks and, and blowing up civilian targets, which is very obviously bad. But at the same time, then the response to that by the French is to, you know, round up these dudes and start torturing them to try and right. parse out the organizational structure, which is also very obviously bad. So, yeah, right. it's, it's kind of, yeah. Which is, which is kind of what led to the public perception kind of ultimately seems to have turned against the French in this conflict because of their use of torture and kind of laying down the hammer. And, and again, no one was supporting right. the, what the terrorists were doing. But France ended up looking like the bad guy here because it was very obvious that these people didn't want them here anymore. And and again, they've been there since 1830. And uh, and kind of to your point, and I don't right. know, I don't know if it was technically you know what we would consider like another state, but it was it was definitely considered French turf more than say like when we look at India being under Britain. This is even more directly like just an extension of France. Right. So I, I read that. So France, I guess, controlled Tunisia, Morocco and Algeria at this time. And Tunisia and Morocco were more like protectorates. OK. And a little bit more independent, like we're still kind of considered their own countries. But Algeria was I mean, it, they called it French Algeria. Right. And it was basically an extension of France. Like this is France, just like France okay. is France. <laughs> gotcha. As far as gotcha. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. control over that territory. Right. And, and of course, then you have you know I don't know how I don't know how many thousands, if not millions, of people who are genetically French or uh, either not not just expats and people or you wouldn't call them expats. So they're if it's actually still an extension of France, but people who are born here yeah. and, and they called them basically what right. the, the Blackfeet, the Pied Noir, where they're they're born here, they're native to Algeria, but they're French biologically compared to like the native uh, Algerians. Right. The figure that I had that I had seen is by the 1950s when this um, conflict started, there, it was over a million European French in Algeria. Okay, there you go. Right. So a sizable portion of the population. Right. So it focuses around a specific, and again, I feel harsh calling him a terrorist, but that, that's what he is at the end of the day, even if he's considered a patriot by the Algerians, if that kind of makes sense. Well, and, and they, and, and, and to be fair, yeah, we're not, we're not just calling them terrorists because they're doing terrorist-like stuff. 
they refer to themselves as terrorists in the movie. Ro- no, right. And, yeah, and that's the term that's kind of been... Ali yeah. Le- LaPlante and uh, one of the other leaders of the FLN, which is the National Liberation Front, they're talking about, you know, the attacks because they're attacking the civilian uh, attacking civilian targets. And the guy says, you know, this is what we have to do to basically get attention on an international stage. Like, we have to do terrorist attacks or else no one's going to pay attention, basically. Right. He even, I'm, I mean, it's in French, but he uses the word terrorist. At least the word terrorist shows up in the subtitles. <laughs> Terror, terrorist. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, it wasn't in French. That that scene would have been, it was in Arabic, but. Oh, true, because they go, yeah, they go back and forth, yeah. And the word terrorism has kind of been, not turned exactly, but just the connotation post 9-11 in the United States is, you, you kind of forget that it refers, to, it's a, it refers to a tactic, like, it's a right. way of, I don't want to say a way of fighting, per se, but it is a way of disrupting. And it's typically a resort of those who don't have the means to otherwise fight. So we can't beat you on the battlefield, so we're going to just terrorize you, because that's all we have. So right. whether yep. that's assassinations, which they don't really, they have to do a little bit in the movie. When they start assassinating cops, is that like one form their terrorism takes? So that was kind of the the impetus for um, the military being brought into Algiers. Yes. Was they were yeah they were just going around. I mean, literally, just every chance they got, or as you know, as much as they could, they were yeah killing the the French cops in 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 Algiers. And what the movie doesn't show, but there was also not just shootings and explosions, but also like throat slittings and beheadings that are not included in in the movie. So right. it, it was it was definitely definitely harsh, and then the French response was equally but differently harsh. Yes. So yes, in the movie, the it kind of is bookended by the arrest of Ali Lapointe, as you just uh, mentioned. Basically, just kind of a young guy who was recruited into this FLN. The kind of uh, actually it has a, it's the National Liberation Front, but then when you turn it to French, the acronym becomes FLN. And he was kind of recruited in and was part of that and setting up these bombings. And so then it flashes. So they kind of have in the movie have him cornered behind a wall and they're kind of saying, hey, come out, come out. And then it flashes back to a few years earlier where they kind of show him getting started. Man, the scene that kind of stands out both the first time I saw it and this time more than anything else. And this is less about Ali himself. But when they have the three women that they recruit to be suicide bombers or actually not suicide bombers. I, I take, I'm sorry. Just, uh, just bombers that they, that because the women yep. can get past these checkpoints. So as the attacks have kind of started and the French have started, you know, cordoning, cordoning off different parts of the city and trying to just, you know, ramping up security, there's all these checkpoints now and women just have a much easier time getting through the checkpoints. So they recruit these three and women. Yeah. That was in, in real life, too. No, that's accurate. Yeah, like this they, happened. They like yeah. regularly used, I mean, like almost almost exclusively used women to to set bombs like that because of the ease that they had getting through checkpoints. And they just weren't. Uh, well, yet, number one, they I'd call it sexist or misogynist or whatever. But the French, you know, soldiers were like, oh, well, this is a girl. What's she going to do? Right. Right. You know, so they wouldn't really worry about them. And also, which I think they actually touched on in the movie. They didn't understand very much about Algerian culture, but they did understand that it was like not cool for, you know, French males to be, you know, searching or touching females. Oh, right. And so they, right. you know, they were like, well, let's not let's not cause a fuss. Let's just let the let the girls through. They can come through the checkpoint. No problem. Right. They even show one of the guards, you know, flirting with one of the girls who says she's going down to the beach or whatever. And they're kind of like acting like, right. oh, man, yeah. we wish I could go. And she's carrying a bomb. 
And uh, and the other one yep. that uses her, who brings her little son along. Because again, if I look like I'm, you know, an active mother, obviously I'm not up to anything. But then she drops the kid off and then goes drops the bomb off somewhere else. Yep. And, and again, those kinds of things yep. were, were were happening. Oh, going back to the uh, that first scene at the beginning of the movie where they're they're talking to Ali through the wall. Yes. Trying to get him to come out and that everyone's like holding their breath and, you know, trying not to be heard, you know, maybe make the French think that they're not behind the wall. I got serious and glorious bastards vibes from that, too. I guarantee it's not a coincidence. I mean, Tarantino, Tarantino is yeah. all about borrowing those scenes from classic movies. Absolutely. Yeah. Good call with the music yeah. and everything, too. That's definitely I mean, without knowing 100 percent, I know 100 percent that Tarantino has seen that movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> But anyways, yeah, and and then so then at the end when they finally do have him cornered and they show it again, uh, how they how they take him out in the movie is actually what happened in real life, and part of what kind of contributed to the martyrdom and mystique of Ali Lapointe is they end up just when he doesn't surrender, they say, okay, if you don't surrender, we're going to blow this whole building up. So they do, they don't surrender, they blow the building up. That's how he and the people with him were killed, and again makes the French look bad makes this guy even more of a hero and kind of someone who was willing to die for the cause of Algerian freedom or and yeah I mean it's it's uh I mean that's basically the movie right during this conflict um and when it started the French government was hesitant well not not even hesitant they uh would not refer to or consider this conflict a war because a war is between two countries or between two distinct groups of people and in the eyes of the french if they said well this is a war then that would mean that algeria wasn't actually part of france that it was algeria or a different country so they viewed this this is almost like entirely a you know domestic internal conflict right a domestic internal conflict the other thing that got them was when they would capture fln fighters they weren't european french so the french didn't consider them french citizens so they didn't they weren't afforded any of the protections of like French civil law, but they also weren't POWs because it wasn't a war. So the French didn't consider them prisoners of war. So they didn't fall under the Geneva Convention either, which oh, basically wow. let the French military do whatever they wanted with anybody that they captured or anybody that surrendered to them, um, which in most cases ended up with them just killing them because or killing them or, or torturing them. Okay, so yes, the I, I, the uh, the resolution of the conflict does tie into Charles de Gaulle and the establishment of the Fifth Republic in France. So I had to definitely uh, research this to kind of get it all straight in my head because it's not at all straightforward. And because this is gonna, so a quick recap, and this is going to date back to the French Revolution. So basically, France was a monarchy with, forever with all with you know the kings and queens, and then when the whole reign of terror and French Revolution came and they ended the monarchy, they established the first French Republic, because it was not a monarchy anymore. It was now a republic. But then that was, you know, famously unstable and leads to Napoleon taking over as emperor, which ends the first republic. Okay. So after kind of Napoleon coming back and forth and the reinstitution of the monarchy for a little bit, you know, several decades pass here. And then in 1848, they established the second French Republic, which only lasts for a few years before Napoleon III names himself emperor before kind of fading away uh, by 1870 with the Franco-Prussian War and everything. Anyway, the empire falls again, and they established the third French Republic in 1870. 
And that continues up through World War II until basically France was conquered by Germany. And you kind of just have Vichy France during, during the war. The Fourth Republic comes back after World War II and is basically just the a, a redux version of the Third Republic. You know, just with the World War II just kind of being the dividing force there. Now... Where de Gaulle comes in, and it ties into what France saw as their failures in World War One and World War Two, and obviously as Americans, we are we are very much on the side that we see a lot of jokes about you know teasing the French over the World Wars, and they kind of saw it that way too to a point where they felt that the lack of a strong central leader was maybe something that didn't give them the versatility or the strength to kind of act quickly enough and to kind of basically, they wanted to be, have a stronger France. And de Gaulle led the push for that meaning a stronger president. And then so the that was kind of already the sentiment. And then we had this conflict in Algeria. It was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, although it was by no means a straw. It was a very big deal. And it basically led to the collapse of the Fourth Republic in 1958 and the establishment of the fifth republic with a very strong executive branch that it lacked before and so for, uh, and, and as it extends to today so the you know president macron right now in france doesn't have there's still you know the parliament and the prime minister and stuff but mm-hmm. he's a little more autonomous than even the american president as far as what he's allowed to do within the country there so it's almost like france temporarily elects a little mini king as their president so he's a very, very strong executive. So then in 62, under the Fifth Republic with de Gaulle, they are able to kind of put an end to this conflict. And But the, it, it is kind of by ultimately separating ties. And it, it was still, though, a huge mess because now you have so many refugees that are trying to get out of Algeria and France way underestimated that, and that kind of causes causes this crisis with I think it was like nine hundred thousand people trying to come into oh, France geez. in the sixties after this. So they kind of just spent a long time uh, dealing with the aftermath of that. But then Al- Algeria did become an independent country. Shoot, that's essentially it. Oh, uh, this is kind of a side note, but this conflict is kind of again like what we're going to be talking about next week um, with Lumumba, and then also the all the anti-imperialist stuff going on in Central and South America that we were talking about with Che Guevara and the Motorcycle Diaries. Um, They also mention, uh, I think it's the French colonel mentions uh, Indochina, um, which is a reference to the conflict in French Indochina, which was kind of a precursor to the Vietnam War. uh, But basically, after World War II in what is now Vietnam, which was called French Indochina at the time, um, there was another conflict similar to this one where France was fighting a war basically to try and hold on to one of its kind of colonial territories. And uh, they ended up losing because Vietnam is obviously its own country today. But yeah, just a little history side note there. That was just the last thing that I had written down in my notes that I hadn't touched on yet. Okay, so yes, we will continue our journey in Africa here next week with the 2000 film Lumumba. Lumumba. 